So, and as we know, he and his partner, Jaime Zapata, were ambushed. Jaime died. Victor yeah. had a bunch of lead in him and he lived. But when I asked him, have you seen satanic rituals with your own eyes? He said, yes, but I, I and he choked up and he said, but I can't, I can't and I won't talk about it, Scotty. And he went on to talk about it. And he told me about it. I bring that up because I go back to what June Carter Cash told me, you know, in the 90s. Nothing has changed. They're gotten worse, right? It's gone from bad to worse. This this can only be described as a satanic thing they do trafficking children, right? It's satanic. It's it's Luciferian, the rituals that are involved. uh, He saw them. He saw the blood rituals. He saw it all. And by the way, for those who think adrenochrome is some conspiracy theory, they're completely wrong. It's a real thing. I know you understand adrenochrome. Yeah. Are you looking for the ultimate Christmas gift for the prepper in your family? Or maybe you are looking for affordable ways to prepare for what may be coming. If this is you, we have a curated list of unique gifts for all members of your family, but within that list, we have the ultimate list of prepper gifts. It includes important essentials from the medicine garden that turns your backyard into a complete natural pharmacy to the DIY solar panel guide that saves you up to 85% on solar panels. We also have the air fountain that extracts up to 10 gallons of water from even the driest desert air to the guide that helps you build a portable space energy generator to power your entire home for less than $300. And wait, there's more. The ultimate woodworking guide that comes with over 16,000 of the best woodworking plans available so you can make anything you want or need. And there is even more. To see all the options, go to sarahwestall.com under shop and look for the unique Christmas list on the top of the shop page or use the link below. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. I have Scotty Sachs coming in the program. He is one interesting person. He spent most of his career and his childhood, because his dad was in this industry, within Hollywood and within the mainstream media. And he's going to tell you everything, or not everything, but a lot of what he's learned and who's involved and how, how it ties back to a very evil base of people. But how they how the CIA controls the narrative and some of the things that he's learned from people in the industry, I think you will enjoy this conversation. It is really enlightening. I've had a lot of conversations over the years that points to what he's saying. And, I, you know, it's another person confirming. And he's going to tell you some things that you haven't heard elsewhere. So I think you'll enjoy this conversation. But before we get into it, I want to remind you to go to uh, Marjorie Wildcraft's free seminar. She teaches you how to grow your own food because we have, she says we're in a famine. We are already in a famine when it comes to nutrients. A carrot, like she said, carrot 50 years ago had 11 times the vitamins and minerals that it does today. Our food just does not give us those nutrients. And that's a big part of why you're seeing obesity because people are 
keep wanting to eat to get those nutrients. It's just not happening for them. Of course, we have other issues and toxin, toxins like stored in your fat cells. I mean, we and inflammation, we have all sorts of issues, but it all stems from not having the proper nutrition either because our body doesn't have the nutrients to behave properly to be able to expel all those toxins and to deal with the inflammation because we just aren't operating in an optimal health situation. So she's teaching you for free. She has like 36 different experts that teach you. She says, even if you're older, you're in an apartment, you don't have much money, you don't have land. She goes, we can teach you how to do this and it can save you money by doing this and you will be healthier so go to sarahsbackyardfarm.com. There's also a link below and go check that out. I think you would appreciate it. I've had people contact me who own farms and says, I'm going to watch this or I watched it and they really learned a lot. People who've been in the industry forever learned from Marjorie's class because she's really regarded as kind of the best. She's the, the mother of preppers. If you watch her seminar, I think you will agree with that. Okay. Sarah's backyardfarm.com. And lastly, remember about our giveaway, we're giving away those heal capsules, which protect you from EMF. And it also does some other really amazing stuff. So you can read about it, but it's EMF protection. And you can see, I'm going to put up this chart again, the blood difference of baseline and then being subjected to EMF. And then afterwards, you're even healthier than the baseline. This is how powerful this is. This is our future. This is what frequencies will do once we understand how to use them for our benefit, for harmonizing with our body instead of harmful frequencies that do not harmonize and really destroy your health. So look into that as well. We're giving out 10 of them. They're all valued at about 100, $149, not about, they are $149. We're giving away 10. So look into that. And it's at sarahwestall.com slash giveaway, sarahwestall.com slash giveaway. So look for that. The link is below. Okay, let's get into this really interesting conversation with Scotty Sachs. Hi, Scotty. Welcome to the show. Hey, Sarah, great to be here. It's a privilege to be with you today. Yeah, I've been wanting to interview for a while. I'm really glad that you're on the show. You have an extensive background in Hollywood and the mainstream media and that whole world and how the intelligence agencies control that world. And But you not only studied it, but you have personal, I mean, that was your life before you got into what you're doing now. Can you talk about your background? Because we're going to dive into the mainstream media and Hollywood and intelligence agencies and how they control it. But I want people to understand just how experienced you are from that side of it. Sure. Again, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. You were on my show a couple of years ago, and I really enjoyed the conversation. And um, it was well received by our audience as well. Oh, that's so. awesome. Good. So my my exposure to Hollywood started when I was 17. I traveled with my dad to L.A. He was a TV producer, and um, he needed somebody to drive him around for the summer. He had open-heart surgery. My other two brothers wanted nothing to do with it. I said, sure, Dad, I'd love to learn about what you do. And he, we were living in Florida at the time, and he pulled two tickets out of his sport coat. He said, well, good decision to drive me. We're going to L.A. tomorrow. We're going to Hollywood. So I'm sitting the next day in Art Linkletter's office, 
Now, Art Linkletter was a pretty big-time guy. That he was, yeah. He was a big-time producer. He had his own production company, his own TV shows. And also sitting there was a guy who was a legend in broadcasting radio and TV in the 60s and 70s named Arthur Godfrey and a woman named Carol Channing, who you probably remember, Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, right? Yep. And uh, my dad was producing a television show with that was utilizing the three of them. Anyway, I was sitting there and listening to these people all day. And the, the one notable takeaway is we all we've all heard how plastic and fake Hollywood is. Let me tell you something. These people were Sammy Davis Jr. came into the office and they were loving on him. Art and Arthur and Carol, they're all loving on Sammy, hugging him, kissing him. Sammy, we love you. You're doing great work. And Sammy was pretty big at the time. You remember Sammy Davis Jr.? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The minute he leaves, they start in with the negativity. Um, Arthur Godfrey was a terrible person. He 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 used the N-word. He called uh, Jews kikes. He was a really bad man. Um, I didn't like him. So at the end of the day, I remember asking my dad, Dad, how do you work with these people? Like, why why do you do this? He goes, if you remember, buddy boy, I got four kids to put through college. So buckle up and deal with it. Like he dealt with it. And he was just dealing with it. He he knew how bad it was, but he didn't know how bad it was until he got into it, until he was producing and working with these people hands-on so at 17 was my let me just ask you before you dive farther we're Mm -hmm. we're going to get into this more but these people were really shallow is what you're saying anybody who praises somebody to their face and as soon as they walk away they stab them in the back and say all these negative things that's the i mean we all see that in our everyday life with just petty shallow people that act that way this is beyond that though right this is goes way beyond. I mean, yeah. here is a man who worked hard. Sammy Davis Jr. <clears throat> worked very hard to become what he did become. And because he was African-American and because he c- converted to be a Jew, he was a practicing Jew, in fact. Um, when he walked out of the office, they laid in on him. They Mostly Arthur Godfrey, um, but... You know, Art Linkletter didn't stop him, and he kind of chimed in. So, yeah, to his face, loving on him the minute he walks out the door, backstabbing him in the worst kind of way, though. Not just, well, he's not really a good guy, but we have to be nice to him. No, they tore him apart when he left. No, just completely. We've all experienced that. I've experienced that in my own life quite a bit. So I'm like, I get it. So, but let's talk more about what was behind that because this isn't just shallow people who are competitive and are you know narcissistic brats there's a whole industry of control and blackmail and really dark stuff so when did you start realizing that this wasn't just normal petty behavior but there's a more sinister control mechanism behind all this it really came to light in the 90s. The first 10 years of my business in the 80s, I was not traveling much. I was based out of Chicago and building my business. When I started to travel and work with celebrities and see their world, it really came into focus. And I, I'll share two anecdotes that, interestingly enough, kind of ca- encapsulate why we're where we're at today in 2023. 
um, but they speak to the dark side of what you were just talking about. So um, these both both stories are from the 90s. I was at an ABC television party. They have a fall preview every year. They present their TV programming to the ad community. And at the time, I probably controlled a couple million dollars. I don't remember. But so ABC was trying to pitch me their ad dollars, me and a thousand other advertising people in a room. I was late and there was nowhere to sit except the table way in the back. So there were a hundred tables with 10 people each because I was told there were a thousand people there. And the only table with this one man in the back, I sat down, I got my food. I started to eat my priority at 29 was, of course, getting getting some food in me. And then as I started to chew my food, I looked up at the man at my ta- at the table to say hello. It's Peter Jennings. Oh, wow. The great Peter Jennings. And he was interesting, I will say, before I tell the story, Canadian-born American journalist who loved America. He really liked this country. He really loved. He told me over and over how happy he was to have moved from Canada to be in broadcasting in America and not Canada, not just because it's a bigger stage, not just because it's more money. He really had an affinity for the American people. But so we're talking and he's drinking. I don't really drink. So I'm sitting there stone cold sober. He's getting He's getting easy on his feet. He's getting a little looser. We're having fun. We were laughing together. So I decided to ask him. My grandfather hated the man. My grandfather used to throw things at the TV at Peter Jennings, even flicked a lit cigar butt at him. So I said, why not? His fourth or fifth drink in, I asked him. I said, Peter, I got to ask you something. My grandfather hated you. He threw things at the TV, flicked cigar butts at you. He said you were an anti-Semitic Jew hater, and he escaped from a concentration camp. So he was a little sensitive to that. Mm -hmm. He had a number burned on his arm and everything. He was a Holocaust survivor that escaped with the help of the Red Cross. The Red Cross was once a good organization, by the way. Um, They became compromised years later, as you and I, I'm sure you know. But so I said, what's that all about? Why, Why did he feel that way? His answer was astounding. He said, first of all, I'm not a Jew hater. I'm not anti-Semitic. But your grandfather is a very perceptive man, he said, because when I was a rookie reporter, I did not get a hotel room. I got a host family. My host family was a Palestinian Arabic family. I broke bread with them 18 months. I suffered a human emotion called sympathy. And I sympathized with the Palestinian cause. And he, he said, I was often aware it came out in my commentary on the air when I was reading the news, I'd throw my own comments in. And I often thought maybe I shouldn't have said that. So your grandfather picked up on it. Part two of his answer is why I'm telling you the story. He said, but Scotty, it doesn't matter what I say. I said, you're Peter Jennings. Of course it matters. You and Walter Cronkite and Tom Brokaw and all you guys, it matters a lot what you say. Now, remember, I didn't know anything about Mm -hmm. anything back then. I just, to me, Peter Jennings was a the number one newscaster in the world. He had more people watching his news than anybody. So to me, it meant a lot what he said. He said, no, matters none what I say, because everything you see on TV is a media construct and a narrative to fit an agenda. It's all a construct and a narrative. And I said, wow, I went home that night, thought about it, and probably didn't think about it again until 2009, some, you know, 15 years later. 
when that's I was putting amazing, the pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. That's an amazing insight from somebody up there. And we've all been saying that, but coming from him at that time is so validating. You know, it's like, yes, this is exactly. If I only understood the magnitude of what he was saying back then, you know, he would have asked other questions. Oh yeah. Have, you I mean, he said that, that to conversation, the... but keep going. Yeah. So hope that thought, you know, we all know, we knew this. I'm not telling you, your audience is awake and ed you've educated your audience. They know what I'm saying. This is nothing new. I'm just validating that we've known for years. And Peter Jennings told me in the 90s, this is what he told me as a construct and a narrative to fit an agenda. I would have asked him whose agenda. I wasn't even present of mind. That's to ask right. Him, well, whose I mean, agenda? Yeah, that's what <laughs> I mean. You would have had a much longer conversation. Right. So the next story has to do with uh, I syndicated a radio show for a really true American patriot, Johnny Cash. Oh, wow. Johnny yeah. created some content. It was just him strumming his guitar and telling stories. It's called Johnny Cash American Folklore. And I was in the studio with him uh, working on a, pro a, a different project when I heard him do this. And I said, that's great stuff. We got to get that on the radio. It was too long. It was 30 minutes each. I said, we'll cut it to two minutes. We'll make them two-minute vignettes, and we'll get them on hundreds of radio stations around the country, which I did successfully. And then the record label called and said, uh-uh-uh, you, you don't own that music. You can't use that music. Why? So Because the record label owned the music. So uh, they, they didn't. They wanted their piece stuff. of the action, okay? Okay. So here we're running a radio uh, vignette. We're, we're on 200 radio stations using Johnny Cash's music, but he doesn't have the rights to use it. So I got on a plane, negotiated the rights for him. And, and that night, June Carter Cash was so happy that this was all behind Johnny because he really wanted this out. He wanted this with this to him. It was the pinnacle of his career to tell stories, to strum his guitar and, and talk Americana. Johnny was talking about faith, family and freedom. That's awesome. Did you convince the record label that they would sell more records if you did this? And this is an advertising angle for Johnny. Or what did you end up doing? Um, you know, that's that was a very small piece, although very astute of you. Uh, no, my angle was, look, this man is not getting any younger. He's in the he's in the twilight of his career. And he was and respect him, respect what he's doing. And so I went that route. It was a it was a 30 minute meeting. They just wanted a piece of the pie. That's all I knew. I knew what they wanted. So we gave them like two percent of the revenue for their damn music and called it a day. But the story is really about June Carter Cash backstage in the green room. Johnny was doing a concert. She was introducing me to her friends, bragging on me what I had just done. And he went and got a deal done with the record label. And I'm sitting there going, no, June, thank you, because I'm. At the time, I think it was 30 years old. I'm doing business with Johnny Cash. He's introducing me to great people. He introduced me to Kenny Rogers, and I did some work for Kenny Rogers. So I'm thinking, don't thank me, thank you. And she leans forward very seriously and says, no, Scotty, thank you, because Johnny won't do business with the media or the music business, and you accomplished both for him. He could not have done this project without you because he will not do business with the media or the music business. He he records his music now. That's all he does. He needs business people to do business with them. So I asked her, why won't he do business with them? She leaned forward because there's a room full of people. 
they're a Luciferian satanic cult. They're evil. They're a Luciferian satanic cult. They're evil. Now, your audience knew that. You knew that. I knew that. But to hear it then from June Carter Cash, Johnny knew. And he he I asked him to elaborate later in the night. I said, Johnny, your wife told me they're Luciferian satanic. And he said, you wouldn't want to know about the things I've seen. And I'm not going to talk about them. And you wouldn't know want to know who the people that are involved in this. He said, because you know them. You've talked to some of them. Yeah. He said, it's 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 ungodly. It's un-American. I remember he said, it's ungodly, it's un-American, and it's unchristian. It's un That's what he said about it. But that's so take those two thoughts. We have a world we've lived in that's a media construct and a narrative. We've all been indoctrinated. Thank God we're out of that dream spell now. And we live in a world run by a satanic cult. If you've been paying attention, you know the global economy is transforming. The BRICS nations want to see the end of the dollar reserve currency, and many countries are joining their effort. The Western banking system is the most fragile it's been since 2008. The highly respected Weiss Research Group accurately provided advance warning on which banks are going to fail with 99.3% accuracy after the 2008 crisis. They are now predicting that a whopping 4,243 banks are vulnerable to failure, and 1,210 of those banks face imminent failure. When this situation comes to pass, it will dwarf the 2008 banking crisis. The only asset that has historically weathered a storm this severe has been precious metals. It has never been a better time to buy gold and silver to protect your family. Contact Miles Franklin at info at milesfranklin.com. Tell them Sarah sent me and you will get the best service and the best prices on gold and silver in the country. That is a guarantee from them to me. Remember, info at milesfranklin.com. Tell them Sarah sent me. Do this now to protect your assets and the ones you love. Yeah, so he was he ran first head into the satanic cult and just said, I'm done. I I, I have enough money. Done. I have enough. I'm done. I'm not. I am not going to enter be anywhere near these people. It's not right. worth my not worth anything, right? I completely exactly. understand and I get that because that's what we're dealing with. That's why we're seeing all this weird stuff now on a national, international level. So when you see all this going on, you know what the foundation is of this. So what else did you see that rocked? I mean, that probably started getting your your noggin going, right? You started thinking about this. Yeah, but I wasn't connecting dots back then. I really wasn't. Yeah, I, I was it. so it's busy building a, a business. You're an entrepreneur. You understand when you're busy building businesses, you're not thinking about the outside world. And then, you you know, what free time you have, you're trying to get with your family and do what's right by your friends and your family. And I, I really wasn't mulling. connecting. I call it mulling, like you're creating tunnels in the earth. And you can't yeah. see anything else around you. Right, but. right. So I think of noteworthiness, again, what we already know, I'm going to confirm, and I knew it back again. This is, I think, around 2000. So I was working with James Brown producing a TV show, um, Living in America. James Brown had just produced this big hit called Living in America, and his business manager said, we got to make hay while the sun is shining with James because God knows he's going to, he told me this, God knows he'll end up in jail again and we won't have him to monetize 
Those were the Bob. I'm, I'm <laughs> paraphrasing. When we was back in jail, we can't make any money with James, right? So let's make money now. So we're producing a TV show. My job was to just produce the show and get it on the TV stations, which we did. We got it on a couple hundred stations. But traveling and producing the show, something very, very profound happened. So he had four women in his entourage that traveled, two women in their middle ages that were in the front of the stage singing, and two young women in the back of the stage with hair and makeup looked in their 20s. Well, one day backstage, they were smoking a cigarette together and just shooting the ball. And I stopped to talk to them. I talked to everybody on the tour, got to know everybody. You know, when you're out on the road with people, you might as well get to know them. So I figured what what, might as well ask these girls what's on my mind, looking at them without hair and makeup. Like, how old are you girls? Come on, tell me the truth. 14 and 15. Oh, wow. How did they even get there? No parents on the tour. No parents on the tour. No. How how did they get there? And what the heck? What the heck? So what did I observe? Prior to asking them this question, I saw it every day. It was not uncommon for James and his band, mostly James Brown. He's the culprit. You know, it goes from the top down. His band members picked up on it and they did it, too. They would grab these girls backstage grab their butts pinch their nipples do all kinds of things physically i saw them go behind closed doors i was never back there with them i can't tell you what they did but come on what are what are these grown men going behind closed doors with these young girls for this was the the very evidence of pedophilia in the music industry in the show business. These guys were playing around with these girls every day. No they were parents like just sitting tour. there as prostitutes for them whenever they wanted them. Exactly. And you know what? I figured out because one of them re- was talking about her mom a lot. Her mom was proud of her. See, the parents thought our kids made it in show business. They're traveling with James Brown. Now there was a business manager responsible for these girls. They were like the parents signed over custody to the business manager. Yeah. And he was part of it. Did they get paid? The parents got paid and the the girls were getting paid. I'm sure the money was going to the parents. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure the money was, you know, in the custody under the control of the parents, just like Britney Spears was. That's a good question. I didn't I didn't probe them, these girls too much. I was so taken back when they told me they were 14 or 15 when I I never really seen them without their hair and makeup. And when I saw them and stood there talking to them, it was about 10 minutes in the conversation when I said, how old are you girls? And they looked at each other and giggled, by the way. Yeah, they're young girls, right? They're young girls. So the, they're, they look, one of them goes, oh, go ahead, tell him it's just Scotty. You know, I'm. he's just the guy on the tour making the TV show. He's harmless, you know? Yeah. So they told me they're 14 and 15 years old. And this was no doubt uh, sexual abuse, pedophilia going on. When they went behind closed doors, we don't need an imagination to understand what they were doing. So and what I saw, what I saw backstage was enough to be pedophilia. Believe me. So what did you do? Well, I mean, I had a talk with his business manager about it. And he told me, essentially, do your job, 
get the show on the air, get the show produced and on the air. And he, he kind of said, maybe we'll talk about it again. But it was like none of my business. So and he, did he threaten you or just more was trying to appease you to just not focus on it? He he wanted me not to focus on it. He said, we'll talk about it after we're successful and the show's on the air. And he was putting me off, in other words. And frankly, again, while I understood these men were abusing teenage girls, what was I going to, I mean, I wasn't going to go to the authorities. I'd never work again in the industry. Yeah. See the, see the, the fear and the threat hanging over a young Scotty Sachs was I'll never work again. If I rat these people out. Well, that's the problem. You all get, we all get older and we start to figure out and then we get out and say, we don't care. We don't want anything to do with this business. And so the people still in the business are the ones that we are trying to get to, to say, Hey, help fix this. Because we decided we aren't going to sell our soul, but we do need people inside the business to change it. So now what happened from there? Well, I mean, I did my job. We produced a show, got it cleared on a couple hundred TV stations, made some money. Um, Everybody was fat, dumb and happy. I mean, I never thought about it again after the tour was over. I put it out of my mind. I didn't think about it. I um, often wondered what happened to those girls and how they were uh, like a year later, I thought about the girls. Were and they frankly, promised I didn't think stuff? Hmm? were they promised stuff? Cause the parents thought they made it in Hollywood. Were they promised? Well, well anything? I'm, I'm, I'm sure when they were hired, they were promised, look, you're working with James Brown. It's a stepping stone. In fact, one of them had said to me, you know, um, this job singing background for James Brown is going to put us in a position one day to have solo careers. And I can't remember their names, so I don't know if they did. Were they prominent background singers or were they just kind of there to appease them, to make them feel like they're background singers, but they're really paid prostitutes. There were two other middle-aged women in the front of the stage that were the real background singers. These girls were in the back. They did have nice voices they were background singers and i believe they were on the tour for play toys not for background singing that's my assessment today you know if this happened 10 years later i wouldn't have cared about any more work that would come my i would have i would have done something with that information 10 years later well you were more mature uh, and, and yeah and, and your life changed and you realized but but that's happens to all of us we start to figure yeah. things out while we're in the industry and whatever and then we're like okay i don't want any part of this anymore but really the best thing to do for a lot of these people is to stay in and help fix it but it's hard and sometimes just for your soul you have to get the hell out so what did you learn after that well i mean you know, there are more anecdotes along the way. The one, the most prominent one that would be relevant to your office, I think is worth sharing. Besides the fact that I produced a TV commercial with the Chicago Bulls and their stars then were Jordan and Pippen. Yep. And Pippen, Pippen brought his wife, his current wife, his ex-wife and his girlfriend to the shoot. All it was his first That's first TV commercial that he ever done, so it was a big deal to him and his family. Um, this was the year before the Bulls won their first championship, by the way. And um, the insinuations, the jokes, what Michael Jordan mentioned to me, he said, hey, you, you think those women are just here watching? No, Scotty does uh, the wild thing with all of them. 
something about the wild thing with all of the women. So apparently there was some union. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a word for people in multiple relationships. Polygamy. Polygamy. There was some polygamous thing going on there. The three of them and Scotty were obviously rolling in the sack together. That became very from the comments Scotty made from the comments Jordan made. But the answer, the reason I even bring it up, the media, this is the destruction of our family unit. That's what this is. The media made it okay. The media was like brushing over it, making light of it. And, and it was no big deal. So, you know, they tore they, they tore down our fa- this is tearing down family values we don't but back then people didn't know because i know my brother-in-law had an advertising agency in chicago and they did this book called Bull, the chicago bulls uh, something about an era and they took all their pictures and created this book and stuff i and i remember everybody following them cuz they were the best basketball team we've ever seen right i mean it was really a big deal back then and I remember Scotty Pippen and people, my parents who are very, they're pretty conservative, right? They never even, I mean, they liked him. Nobody knew the media just presented it differently. And it was just a different time, but that's when we were all really naive, right? I mean, we were really mm-hmm. naive as a society back then. Yeah. Yeah. And again, Sarah, as far as connecting dots along the way and putting everything together, it didn't happen in those years. Um, It wasn't until 2009 when I read The Creature of Jekyll Island by G. Edward Griffin that I understood how the world really works from from a financial point of view, which explains a lot of other things if you read that book, right? Yeah, yep. I don't know if you read the book, The Creature of well, Jekyll I've Island. I've had him on the show before, and we've yeah. talked about it. So I, I think he's G. Edward Griffin, um, which he's in his 90s now. I mean, he came, yeah. he really documented some important things. But that is in the consciousness of more people now, what the Fed, you know, the creation of the Federal Reserve in, what, 20, right. in 1913 and how they usurped uh, the Congress's ability to, put, to print money and they did it themselves. We funded that first bank. They didn't even put the money in to do it. They were given it f- for free. They were, the Federal Reserve control of it with our own tax money was the basis right. for them. So they didn't even put in money to create it. Which is, right. think about that. Well, that book allowed me to kind of synthesize a lot of and reflect back on all the things I saw and heard, uh, including a couple years later, the last anecdote I'll tell that I think it's really um, important because I know everybody listening to your show knows about Operation Mockingbird Media. Mm, yes. I know they're aware of the CIA's influence in, in media and the 4 a.m. talking points. So do you remember the Ferguson, Missouri, Michael Brown story? I Michael Brown Michael was Brown. Yeah, yeah, it was a big so, deal. So it was George Floyd 1.0, that, George Floyd right. 1.0, right? So the kid did a drug deal. The, the cops caught up with him after he did the drug deal and they ended up killing him, which, you know, is unacceptable by any stretch. But the media narrative was that Michael Brown had gone to the good side, was no longer drilling, dealing drugs, had found the Lord, was going to church, had back enrolled in junior college or some, it was all BS. Okay. But those they talking it completely up, it was totally made up, com- 
totally made up. They made up the kid's life. He was a bad kid. Now, I was at a CBS station 48 hours after that happened, and I was there to do business. After doing business, the program and news director, one and the same, he had he he served both hats. I was my my wife, my ex-wife and his wife were best friends growing up. So we got together for lunch and we come back from lunch and there's a memorandum on his desk concerning the talking points for the story. And he picks it up. He starts swearing. It's like, son of a bitch. Hold on. I'm going to call my boss. You know, don't don't say a word. He gets his boss on the phone. He said, look, you approved the budget to send our best reporter and our best cameraman to Ferguson, Missouri. I got the story and it's nothing like what's on this piece of paper. It's absolutely the opposite. So why are you putting this piece of paper on my desk telling me to do the story this way when it's the opposite? I just saw the footage from the field and I just saw interviews. Michael Brown's a bad kid. The, The neighbors all say so. The boss's answer, the guy that ran CBS was, if I remember correct, what my father said, if I remember correctly, you have two boys to put through college. You'll run the talking points in the memo. And he hung up. So I asked him, where's the memo come from? Whose memo? What memo? Where? Who wrote the memo? Yeah, who the heck is telling you to, to lie to the American people? And he said, I can't tell you because I'd have to shoot you on the way out of my office. And I said, OK, I let it go on the way out of his office, standing in his doorway. I'll never forget. Turn around, looked at him, said, Dave, it's just you and I. Come on, buddy. Tell me who where does that memo come from? He said, OK, a three letter agency. And I said, does it begin with an F? How stupid I am. Does it begin with an F? He goes, no, it begins with a C, you dummy. Get out of here. So I went back into his office and said, let me see that thing. CIA memorandum. The talk, the 4 a.m. talking points on Michael Brown were right there on the damn piece of paper that I saw. And I walked out of there just shaking my head going. And and I had heard a little about Mockingbird Media. This was 2013. I wasn't completely naive about it. That's why I wanted to see that piece of paper. And um, so that just confirmed everything we've known. You know, the CIA confirmed it for us. And they went before Congress in the 70s and admitted that they infiltrated and subverted first the major publishers that published the newspapers, then then the radio networks, then the TV networks. But they had infiltrated and subverted every media to the point where today it's still going on. I think they have far less influence as evidenced by their ratings. They have no ratings anymore. These 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 news outlets have no ratings. I mean, they're still in control of the mainstream media. I remember back in 1990, Jacob Wetterling, which was a a boy that was kidnapped. And it was I'm from Minnesota, so it was a big deal in Minnesota, but it was national news. And um, Jim Rothstein, who was a detective, took down more pedophiles than anybody in CIA related situations and stuff. He told me that the moment Jacob Wetterling went down because he was related to or this kid was taken by a satanic network that actually ties back all the way to the United Nations. They were feeding kids for blackmail up you know, to that level. And it was a satanic group and stuff. But he said when that thing hit and hit the media and Jacob Wetterling and everybody wanted to know about it, 19 CIA agents flew in that day and took complete control of the narrative and everybody. And it was 
controlled from then on. Since then, there's been a lot of trickling out of what actually happened with Jacob Wetterling because we've we've uncovered a lot and it's not what people think it is and the parents were involved. It's really a sad situation. But that was my first um, realization firsthand with the local media and watching them lie and then watching from the inside people who are actually investigating in it and knew deeply about it because the local media was still covering up and making up lies for what really happened with that story. And it was mind boggling for me. It was, it was mind blowing to watch it firsthand happen, the lies and the cover up and the sheer, I mean, just the arrogance, they don't even care how much they lie. They just completely whole cloth, make up a narrative and then shove it down our throats and uh, they keep doing it. I mean, it's it's their MO. It's the playbook, right? That is the playbook. Is it's um the indoctrination uh is twenty four seven. You know, if you really wanted to know if you want to know the truth today, listen to what the mainstream media says and know the truth is 180 degrees opposite, right? For the most part. I mean, I think I they mean it is they're, they're so far off the mark these That's days. Right. They're so bad. For the most part, you know, things that are trivial they'll say the truth on so that people trust them or they'll cover something years later, like two years later, they might cover something. And then people think they're like legit news. It's so disturbing when finally they cover something that we've been talking about for two to three years and they cover it like it's breaking news. Oh God, it's that hard to deal with because you know, they're, they've been lying for years and then the man, and then the regular people then trust them. They are experts at manipulating people. Absolutely. They, they are. You know, and today, I think about uh, two weeks ago, I interviewed Victor Avila for Sovereign Radio. You know who Victor is? He's yes, a he was, yeah, great Vala. guy. I call him Ivala, but Avila, maybe that's the right way to pronounce it. Yeah. Victor, um, I asked him point blank, hey, Victor, have you ever seen satanic rituals with your own eyes because he was on many a mission to infiltrate the cartels you know and break up the drug rings he was responsible so people understand he was responsible for the trek between the border and uh, uh what was the big city um hmm. I can't believe I can't remember. It's right on the tip of my tongue, but one of the big cities in Mexico. Sinaloa. I think it's Sinaloa. That's the cartel, but the the yeah. city that he the trek back and forth, it was oh yeah, major right. northern cities. He was responsible for that. Wait, wait, so and as we know, he and his partner Jaime Zapata were ambushed. Jaime died. Victor yeah. had a bunch of lead in him and he lived. But when I asked him, have you seen satanic rituals with your own eyes? He said, yes, but I, I, and he choked up and he said, but I can't, I can't, and I won't talk about it, Scotty. And he went on to talk about it and he told me about it. I bring that up because I go back to what June Carter Cash told me, you know, in the nineties, nothing has changed. They're gotten worse, right? It's gone from bad to worse. This, this can only be described as a satanic thing they do trafficking children right it's satanic it's it's luciferian the rituals that are involved uh he saw them he saw the blood rituals he, he saw it all and by the way for those who think andrina chrome is some 
conspiracy theory, they're completely wrong. It's a real thing. I know you understand. Well, yeah, I had Sherry Edwards analyze it, and she she's like, you know, there's synthetic adrenochrome too, too that they yes. the the stuff yeah. which is highly available for them, but and, the but the stuff coming directly from people is more powerful. They like it better. Well, I don't know if what I saw was synthetic or real, but I saw it firsthand because I was at a party, and it was circulating, and I asked somebody at the party for a contact because I wanted to kind of research it myself. So I got the name of the quote dealer. When was that? Um, How many years? 2019, 2020. Okay. Yep. Okay. It's right about the time I started. In fact, I just started the radio show. So it would have been 2020. And I went to LA and I was bold and brave and mic'd up. I was going to do a James O'Keefe number on the guy and I, I i i'm being honest i chickened out i turned the mic off i was in a garage in a downtown la garage with the guy he was the dealer he was there to sell me eighteen hundred dollars for a small vial for two two, two enough for two people and i one dose for two people yeah i played dumb i said oh my god i left my wallet in the hotel I'll have to go back and get it. And so I never saw the guy again, but I saw he pulled the vial out. Somebody said to me, how do you know what was in it? Well, he represented it as adrenochrome, and he's the guy that supplied the party I was at, Hollywood party, Hollywood Super Bowl party, by the way. And uh, there were rooms at that party for everything. There was a room where people were smoking weed, doing coke. I mean, they were doing everything at this party, and... Um, I didn't quite understand adrenochrome. I'd heard about it. I certainly had heard about it and was ta- told about it, but I wanted to see if it was real. So I went to LA and found there are guys dealing it on the street in LA. So how did he, or how did people respond to it? And when they took it, how did it make them feel? And how did they behave after they took it? The only thing I've been able to get out of people, and I have no point of reference because i've never done heroin they say it's euphoric better than heroin that's all i can get out of people yeah they love it it's highly and it has anti-aging properties yeah you know it keeps so i think when hillary looked like shit it was because she didn't get her fix (laughs) gosh there's so much better ways to these people are so lost there's if you want to look younger there's better ways to do it than to harm your soul in the process so what then made you get out because you haven't been out of the hollywood scene for that long no i i haven't done anything in hollywood um i have done some things in the music industry um but they're with independent producers now nobody big um i have withdrawn from that whole scene now i run and operate a media management company. I still do business with the mainstream media, negotiating advertising and sponsorship deals. I have a daughter to put through college now. I'm the one who's saying, I can't, what am I supposed to, when I really woke up, I was 50 years old. Was I supposed to cash in my business and find another career? I just, I, it didn't make sense to me. So I'm still doing good. There's a lot of good people in the industry who don't, who don't want it to be like this, right? Everybody I do business with is good people. 
And I know Jessie's a boater who is, I've had many interviews with her and I've got to know her over the years and we haven't been talking lately, but she told me point blank that the majority of the people want out, 90% of the people want out of this and they don't want to be part of it. I get calls every day, Sarah, almost people want out. Scotty, can you help me get out? Yes, they want out. I'm talking about high upper, very upper level sales and and programming guys, they want out in the worst way. They know they're working for a ship that's sinking. They now know it's a satanic run. The people at the top are definitely satanic, and they understand that, and they want out. Uh, fortunately, I'm at arm's length now. Everything we do is on online and on, on a phone line or on over the Internet. I don't have to go to parties anymore. I don't have to be around those people. I'm like Johnny Cash. I don't want to do business with them. I actually have media buyers who do the work for me. I don't I don't have anything to do with them anymore. And uh, it's funny, my media buyers, I, I've opened their eyes over the years. And they I mean, I wanted them to know who they're doing business with at the upper echelons and um, some are still in denial over the years, <laughs> so they don't want to hear it. Imagine. Well, yeah, they can't they're... quite put their head. They think it's conspiracy theory, and you have to see it almost firsthand because it's just so – you just can't believe that it's it's like this. It's like, no, it can't possibly be like this. That's why when I saw with the Jacob Wetterling firsthand – that was really disturbing. And then I saw other things firsthand. I had traffickers calling me firsthand. Seeing this firsthand gives you a different perspective. I can sympathize with those in the audience who haven't seen it firsthand that struggle with believing it because it's really not like that in your everyday life. You, you, what you're exposed no. to in everyday life, yeah, you get petty, crappy people. You do, and we all deal with human beings are petty and crappy and jealous and greedy and all these things. But the satanic stuff, I mean, that is like, okay, no. you're going too far. But you're, I'm telling, you know, I tell people this really is, these people really are a crazy cult. I don't give them the respect to say that it's just a religion or that they're powerful elites. No, they're just a, crazy screwed up mentally unbalanced cult and that's what they are and we have to call it what it is they're criminals with power who we've let get there somehow and we need to take them out you know you're in minneapolis are, are you in the minneapolis area yes yeah i grew up in chicago i have friends in milwaukee and iowa people who grew up in that part of the country minnesota iowa michigan illinois indiana we didn't know people evil like this so we don't put right. we didn't grow up around people that were evil so we don't believe it's possible we don't believe it's even possible to be so evil right i mean Until we you know crazy people once in a while but they don't have any power right i mean you just right. don't but but it happened in my backyard here i mean minnesota is number two i think for at this point for human trafficking and our population isn't the size to be number two it, so we've been taken over, but it's been like that for a long time, but it's hidden from the average person. And that's their. I, mean, I hate to say it, but there are a lot of pretty little Scandinavian girls right. still coming up in the in your part of the country that they're a target. And then they it's are. a sad truth. Yeah. And and that's what Jimmy Boots said. He used to he called it was called the Minnesota Strip in New York, where it was kind of the place that prostitutes started. They're all trafficked girls, but they brought it from northern towns of Minnesota because they were super naive. 
and they were the right marketing or the right product, right? And so it was, they, that's, he was from Minnesota. So that's why he focused, they brought him on to try to take care of it as if he would know more because he's from the area. It took him two weeks to realize that this isn't what the media, I mean, people yeah. thought prostitution was a, a, a legitimate way to make money who are just trying to get out of being poor. No, these are human trafficked girls who, uh, who don't want to be there. And he figured that out within a couple of weeks. But yeah, you, you're right. I think we just are this area where we're so naive and we're so naive and it's better to it feels better to stay naive but that's what they bank on and that's where they get their power is the fact that the more we're kept in the dark the more power they can wield behind the scenes and that's why the cia really controls the narrative yeah and we they're also involved in the human trafficking they're 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 protecting it. They're they're like the you know the the front line of protection for human trafficking, drug trafficking, and the thing about human trafficking, it's easy to understand as an entrepreneur, as a business person, you can sell an ounce of coke one time, you can sell a little kid ten times a day. I it's mean, a, it's a great. I'm going to say it like this: it's a great business opportunity, but it's incredibly evil, and it yeah. destroys the souls of the people involved. And- including the victims, obviously, but the people who destroy a young child's soul like that also destroys their own soul. It's a very, very dark industry. Even the drug traffickers, a lot of them don't want to be part of this. I mean, it's not, it's really dark. Yeah, it, it it's the world we're living in and you know, it's our job to talk about it. That's why you do what you do. We're trying to get the truth out. Um, that's why I started Sovereign Radio, um, Town Square Radio that owns about 300 stations in smaller B and C counties. They are the ones who twist my arm to do the show. We'd sit around and talk after doing business, and I'd explain the Federal Reserve. I would explain uh, Big Pharma to them, and they're like, "Wow, they they didn't know any of this." They're well, like, "There's such a market for it, right?" Right. Right. I mean, That's there's right. people hungry for this information. You're sharing it with them. And then they're like, wow, people need to know this. This is how we save humanity is for that as ugly as it is. And it's awful. And I, you know, it, it burns me out to talk about it too much. Right. Because it's so awful. It's, and at some point I just want to talk about beautiful things. And there's a lot of beautiful things we can talk about how we're moving forward. But if we don't talk about this, we can't solve it. And if we can't solve this, we are stuck. In, in fact, beautiful, talking about beautiful things, I think we're months, no longer years, we're weeks and months away from some things that are going to happen that are not beautiful. But the other side of the reset, the financial reset, the other side of all of this, taking down the tunnels and destroying the, the cartels, it's happening. It's being done right now. The other side of this is a thousand years of peace and prosperity. And I really believe that. I think so too. I think this is, this is biblical, but how do you know? So the audience knows instead of it being propaganda, because we know that during the time of the Russian, they had the Russian Soviet union, when they took over the Bolsheviks took over the Russian Mm -hmm. um, empire, if you will, they had propaganda that was much like Q was, and it was total BS to try to get the average person to stand down, to think that there was somebody out there taking care of the evildoers, when in actuality, 
it wasn't happening. It was just to get them to stand down. How do you differentiate between that type of situation occurring right now and it really happening? Well, on the surface, you're right. Q looks a lot like that PSYOP. And Q was a PSYOP, but it happened to be a white hat military PSYOP done by the good guys. I mean, they'd post stuff about Hillary or Obama and thousands of anons would go research it, right? So it was put out there by the White Hats. You don't have to look too far. Trump left us plenty of clues about Q. Trump often made makes cues in the air. It's no, you know, my brother said, oh, he's just scribbling in the air. Come on, it's not a cue. But it's a distinct motion that he's done many times. When he was asked about Q, he didn't confirm or deny it. He just said, well, I hear they like me. I hear those people. Did you remember what he said about yeah. Q people? He said, I hear they like me. And he, and he said, by the way, well, is taking down the human trafficking and the pedophilia a bad thing? That's right. And that was the number one thing. You know, I my... I was in a book called Q, the welcome introduction to the great awakening. And my, that thing sold, it was number one on 16 different categories Who wrote on that Amazon. Book? It was a group of us, uh, Dustin. Oh yeah. I remember. It. Yeah. Great but job. My, yeah. But my chapter was the human trafficking chapter with Jim Rothstein, Jimmy Boots. And it was all about human trafficking. So that was, and I coined the term, um, human trafficking or blackmail, I'm sorry, blackmail is the currency of the powerful. And we talked about human compromise. And that was in that book in 20, I don't know, 2017, something. Like and and so I got put on the national radar of being human trafficking person. And, and I did a lot of more interviews and conversations on it, but I wasn't a Q follower, right? I, I always said Q, I did some interviews on it. I never felt comfortable um covering from a reporter standpoint um the covering q as if it was truth without me knowing what the sources were but right. i used to tell people that i think most of what they're saying is true right and you need to research it but i'm not a q follower because i don't feel comfortable with not knowing my source in 2015 i um joined a group and i can't talk much about it because there's an nda involved but i can tell you it's governed by homeland security and the u.s treasury the group and the people in the group confirmed q is the real deal it's white hat military psyop it is a psyop there was a lot of disinformation in there a lot of misinformation and disinformation but a lot of golden nugget truth bombs were laced into the q post over the years and that's what they did it so the the anons would go and dig and dig and they did and, and i had two guys out yep i had two guys on sovereign radio when q started um they have a show called the mg show now um i for forgetting their names offhand uh, Je jeff peterson and shady groove he goes by but they're these guys spent hours a day researching q well, and I was they, in that lawsuit, you know, with with all these guys, because I got taken down as if I was a QAnon follower with all these people. I'm like, wait a minute, I, why am I being taken out? But so I know them through our lawsuit. I yeah. got sucked into all that. But yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll have to ask you about that when we're not uh, recording. But so, you know, I believe Q was just one part of an overall plan. I know 
with great certainty, because I've heard this from too many sources. When Kennedy was assassinated, generals got together, good guys. We call them the White Hat Alliance. They got together and said, we got to do something about this cabal that just assassinated our great president. And they started on a plan 60 years ago to take down the 13 bloodlines, the the central banking families. And uh, we're on the back end of that plan now. We're, like I said, we're no longer years away. We're weeks or months away from seeing the fruits of their labor. How do we know, you know, knowing that, because this is what I've been struggling with on the inside here, knowing that Q is both truth and psyop, how do we know that that we're winning? I mean, because we still can't, doesn't feel like we're winning because the we have a fake president running the country. We still have the mass media. We are winning, I think, the propaganda war, but YouTube dominates 94% of the international you know, market and they are completely controlled by these guys. I shouldn't say completely, but for the most part, they really are. Well, I can tell you why we aren't sure we're winning. And then I'll come back to your question. How do we know we're winning? We're not sure we're winning because who controls the media, the YouTubes, the big tech? It's still controlled by the cabal. They're still running it. So all we hear is anything but the truth. That's right. The white hat military running this operation, they do not leak information ever. 100% of the time, their lips are sealed. They don't run to the media with leaks. So they're not giving us direct information. That's what they use Q for, to give us some of that information. But they're not talking. They don't operate on timelines. They operate on missions. That's why we've thought several times before, oh, the financial reset's going to happen 2017, 18. We thought the financial reset was coming because of the misinformation. But I think... We can't be sure because the only media that we have around us that Americans believe can call mainstream media, they're lying to us. They're not they going to tell lying. us. Yeah. They're not going to tell us that they're losing. That's right? why I won't. I, I can't uh, say for sure this narrative is is 100% on target. I think it's- You know how we have to use discernment and and our gut instinct? So I'm telling you my gut, this is my gut, discernment, and my four or five contacts that are in the military, in Homeland Security, and the U.S. Treasury, tell me that this white hat alliance that was not just an American alliance, it's a global alliance. I'll take it a step further. You want to get into real gray areas- Who's working with Trump? Trump was recruited, by the way, in the 80s by the military to do this for a time such as this. So this is long in the works. But Trump is actually working. I know this is going to be a real shocker to some people. Putin, Xi, and Trump have an alliance for one thing and one thing only, to take out the bloodline families that run the world, the central banking families, because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And those three men all hate the cabal central banking families. He doesn't want them up his, you know what? Putin kicked him out years ago. And we know Trump does not want to live in a well, world. Anybody with, with anybody with a normal 
a human being that cares about people first wouldn't like these guys. Right. I mean, we're already right. there. They're satanic, horrible individuals. It's, it's the, you know, I've been really grasping, trying to figure this out for years and talking to lots of people. The, the question is, are we really, are they really clean? Those three guys. And I mean, cause we're dealing with the most powerful people in the world, right? They right. have more money than, than countries. Right. And, and they are able to vote people in or not. They fix all the elections. So, and then we see Trump making, doing things that are great. And then we see him doing things that appeases them as well, like with COVID shot. And, and so I get confused. I got to tell you, you know, his support of the COVID shot made me go, wait a minute here. I don't know. And then, and then it's some of that stuff to say why he did it seems like mental gymnastics to try to convince people that it's okay. You know, the long, nope. the 5D chess, and they're doing this to not shut things down. I don't, I don't know. I, I, but he's, the I don't the know. explanation I got on, on the COVID shots, it's as good as any as I could imagine. And I still have a lot of questions like you, but Trump knew we're at war and war has casualties and war has collateral damage. He also knew if we didn't have a vaccine, and he got bad advice on vaccines. There's no doubt he was misled about vaccines. Well, the vaccine but it, was the weapon. So if, if they're we, if these people are such great intelligence and sources, they should know that. I don't understand the ignorance on that, but keep going. The idea was we're going to lose for sure if we let them lock us down for 10 years. And that was their plan. We wouldn't we would have been locked down for years under their plans. We would have been locked down for years, if not for fast tracking the jab turned out to be a bioweapon. It turned now, out to be Trump, the weapon. The virus, the COVID was it turned out to be their the weapon. It. We know and that now. So he was but how you know, he was behind the weapon. That's why it's hard to say, okay, he's this great guy. It's like, well, he I don't I mean, he's doing some good things, but at the same time. Could he be a Trojan horse? I mean, that's the question. I don't want to not have a, allegiance to somebody who's really fighting. I mean, if I knew for sure that he was in our court, I'd be loyal to him 100%. Problem is, I don't have all the intel to make me understand that he's 100% in our court. If he, if I knew he was, he was 100% fighting, I would never not back him. Do you know what I'm saying? I just yeah. don't know if we have the, all the information that can. Nobody that. has all the information. Nobody. I mean. So we're left to our own gut, our own intuition, our own discernment. And I happen to combine that with the things I've been told from people who are on the inside circle, so to speak. Sure. sure. It is hard to justify the jab under any circumstances. Trump, I don't think he understood what a weapon it was. I don't think he understood the well, big pharma's plan. They should have known the culling was coming. They should have known that with their kind of intelligence. Now, maybe he wasn't getting any of the intelligence because the intelligence agencies are all working for the cabal and not for the president. So he wasn't getting any of that intelligence. But if there's a white hat movement who has been working on this for 60 years, they should have had that intelligence. 
that's just my perspective. I I mean, I don't know. I'd like to be set straight. So if there's anybody out there, I don't want just people listening to programs. You know, if somebody's inside an insider, an actual intelligence agency person who can reach out to me and give me information, I would appreciate that. Please not regular audience people who just sit and watch podcasts, because to Mm -hmm. me, that's not good info. I want to hear it from an inside, inside sources. Well, I'll speak to one of mine and ask him if he's willing to speak to you, by the way. That would be that, perfect. That, that, would may, be that may do it. But the, the only way I can explain the whole vaccine and the jab, and it, it was there's no doubt what it is now. We, we understand it was designed to depopulate and kill people. That's right. It was a calculated risk by the White Hat Military Alliance to say, if we don't open business back up, if we don't let people live their lives, if we allow the deep state to lock Americans in the world down for a period of years, we're all going to end up in their one world government and system and we're all going to die anyway. We would have died. So let's and I take think a there chance. would have been a revolution, I think, in this country. I think we, we were. Yeah, we had guns and we, we we're the only country that can front a revolution when you think about it. That's right. We're the only ones that, well, Israel, I think, has guns, too. I think all of them are armed. Is Switzerland? There's another country that's 100 There, there may be one more, but yeah. I think, by and large, the world knows if America falls, the rest of the world's falling, right? I think that's a pretty safe bet. Keep your guns, people. That lobbyist yeah. is really, I never liked guns growing up. I always thought that guns were off. My brother back in the day committed suicide. This first time I'm going to say it on air. He committed suicide and with a gun. I was, wow. I was 15. He was 14. It was the worst thing I ever went through. I hated guns. Can't that. imagine that. It was awful. We grew up as, and the first time I'm talking about it, we grew up as twins. He was adopted and we even had our own little language. So when he died, it was devastating to me, right? I hated guns because of that. Since then, I learned the importance of it. So if I can overcome that and realize that guns are extremely important for our well-being, then anybody else out there can. And that's because I, you know, thought through it very deeply. But um, so I understand both sides of that issue. But there is we, we there's pros and cons to everything. But we cannot get rid of our guns because no, we have to protect that Second Amendment. You know, I get calls. I've gotten many a conversation to call from my Australian friends. I have several friends in Australia and they pleaded, please do not give up your guns. We did it. We were stupid. They went door to door in Australia. I I don't remember how many years ago and they took their guns away and they surrendered it under the threat at the time. There was if you don't give up your gun, something's going to happen. We cannot ever succumb to that. Ever. Ever. If we do that, we're done. To, the thing is, is that if you're naive and you think that we have altruistic people running this planet, running the UN, then then you think, okay, who cares if we give up our guns? But if you knew that, that's being extremely naive, but if you knew that a satanic cult who is determined to kill you is the ones controlling the UN and the World Health Organization and the world, then by no means would you ever give up your gun. I mean, you have to be a crazy person to give up your gun, knowing who's controlling this world. And for those who think that a globalist environment run by the UN with non-elected people, because there's a lot of naive people that think that that is our solution for the world, 
they need to pull their head out of their behind and realize that if a bad guy has that much power over us, the whole point is that if a bad guy gets in power, we're hosed and we're in that position now. Yes, the best form of government is an enlightened dictator, one that is enlightened and altruistic. The problem is why that doesn't work is because bad guys get in there just as as easily or more easily, especially right now, than good guys. And they're hell-bent. These bad guys are hell-bent on culling the population. So got, we got to get these people past this naivety. Who that, yeah. Those are the useful idiots, right? Yeah, the 60s peacenik thing doesn't work anymore. We, you know, it, that those days are long over. We're not, we can't be peaceful when it comes to our guns and possession of our guns. We have to maintain that um, security. That's our level of security. That is how we stand against this cabal. Well, if you knew a serial killer was living all on all sides of your house, wouldn't, would you get rid of your gun? No. Right, exactly. I mean, we're essentially in that situation. Yeah, it's not your neighbors, because we already discussed that, that in the Midwest, we just don't see those people every day. These are the people running the government. They truly are that evil. You know, it is, it is the half of 1% that's at the very top, and it goes... All the way from point zero 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 one point zero, the bankers that run the world, the 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 Vatican. I mean, these they're all the Jesuits, the Black Pope, whoever he is. And I mean, there's a hierarchy there that they're all satanic. They all believe in uh, the Luciferian doctrine. They don't believe in God, family, and country. No, that just gets in their way. They they think that we need to be destroyed. It's really really sad learning the truth and it's hard it's a hard trauma to get through but it's real i mean i don't sure is so how do people follow you because you are one interesting person and they need to oh thank you you. well it's pretty simple go to sovereignradio.net all of our uh shows can be seen from there we're on five different radio stations in Texas and California and all the major podcast platforms, but you can find it all at sovereignradio.net. And uh, Saturdays and Sundays are the show. You can go to the website, click on the microphone at airtime. The times are listed on the site. And if you miss the show on the weekend, Apple podcast, Google play, all those podcast platforms run all over the place. And what is your website again? Sovereignradio.net. There is a dot com or dot net, sovereignradio.net. Dot net. Okay. Thank you so much, Scotty. This has been Thank an you, amazingly Sarah. interesting conversation. Great to talk with you again. 